Welcome, everybody. It's time for another episode of Asher Sales Sense, brought to you by Asher Strategies, the only global sales training company that integrates leading sales methodologies and the latest neuroscience studies into a simple and repeatable, that's the key, simple and repeatable 10-step process for sales success. Thank you, Paul. Paul is our announcer for Asher Sales Sense, and I'm Dave Potts in the Asher Strategies studio in Washington, D.C., Our host today is John Asher, CEO and founder of Asher Strategies. John's guest is Kim Frederick, founder of an outsourced B2B sales firm in the D.C. metro area. She's also the author of a book with the same title as today's show. If you can have a conversation, you can sell. Over to you, John. Oh, great. Welcome, Kim. Great to have you on the show. Thanks, John. I'm delighted to be here. So I know from your book and other conversations we have that you can kind of boil down what it takes to have a fast-growing company from three separate but complementary areas. Can you give us a little bit of info on that? Sure. A lot of people have tremendous success just relying on referrals and on inbound marketing leads that come from activities that are done on the marketing side. And you can have some success doing that. But what I have found, and I'm sure you'll agree, that if you really truly want to be successful and really reach your maximum possible growth potential, you do need some sort of outbound selling as well. You need some kind of proactive sales activity. Right, good. I certainly would agree. And I'll just give you my own opinion on referrals. You know, you ask most salespeople, what's the best source of referrals? And they'll almost always say, well, it's our best customers. Yes. When in fact it's not. Oh, interesting. Yeah, the best source of referrals is your suppliers, vendors, Mm -hmm. subcontractors, advisors, consultants. And the reason is you're paying them. Uh Right. They have a vested interest. So if you you ask them for a referral, they're not going to blow you off because they want to keep your business. They actually want to increase their business with you. So they'll give you a referral, but We're going to get to how to have a conversation later, I'm sure. But when you ask them for a referral, they're going to give it to you because they want to actually increase their business with you. So so don't just stop there when they give you a referral. That's a great point, John. And what I have also noticed is that so many business owners don't have any kind of a formalized system for asking for those referrals. So you've just hit on a tremendous source. In addition to, you still can ask your existing clients. But so many people don't. That's very, very true. And, you know, once you get a referral, you really shouldn't just take it and go with it. You really need to have a conversation and find out whether it's just anecdotal or is it marketing qualified, maybe sales qualified, and it really sounds good to you. Don't stop there either. Ask them to set up a VC platform calls like a Zoom call Mm -hmm. with them, you, and of course, who they're referring you to. Right, right. And by the way, I just did a Vistas presentation yesterday with a group in Minneapolis, virtual, of course. And one of the CEOs on the call, his nickname is JJ. He said, my biggest customer ever, Target, I got from a referral from one of my suppliers. It was a great source of referrals. That's a really tremendous story. Yeah. And so in my experience also, been around sales for a while and you've got a good network, is to trade referrals. So. I'll just make something up. You could have a great client, Johnson & Johnson. I could also have a great client, HP. 
So then we could do a little virtual handshake and I'll try to get you in to HP and then you in turn try to get me into your great client, Johnson & Johnson. So it's another great way to do referrals. Absolutely. I like that one actually the best. And I find that because it's helping other people out who then are going to help you out. And when it works well, then it sort of sows the seeds for more of that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. And when you go back to the neuroscience of sales, there's actually a name for that cognitive bias that is called, I'm sure you've heard of it, the reciprocity bias. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we're all biased towards people who do stuff for us. <laughs> so, right, which is why it works so well. Exactly. And so when you look at referrals, the way that kind of works from a reciprocity standpoint is if you just do a great job for your current customers, great, great job, then when you ask them for referrals, they're just going to naturally give it to you because mm-hmm. they can give you something back for all the great work you've done for them. Right. Right. And this is where I was saying, it's a shame that so many people miss that opportunity. Yeah. And so when you teach people about this or when you do it yourself, do you ask for just one referral or 10 referrals or three or how do you approach it? It depends quite a bit on on the relationship. And what I do also counsel my clients is it's even works even better if there is a specific named person that you're looking for that you want to connect with. It's kind of like what you were just talking about. If there's someone you know you want to connect with and your vendor or your client already has that connection and you know they can introduce you, much more effective when you can say, can you introduce me to named person at named company? That's more effective, of course, than saying, is there anybody you know who does similar work to you that I could help do what I did for you in the same manner? That works too, but it's much more impactful when you can do it with a specific named contact. Yeah, because they don't have to think. It's either yes exactly. or no. Exactly. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. You, you've done the homework and you know who you want to reach out to, and they're just going to facilitate that. No, that's exactly right. We want to get ahead in life. We got to do the work. Right. Yes. <laughs> all right. So good. So referrals is a great one. I think we're in total agreement with that one. And we all know about inbound leads. That is the inbound marketing, you know, the SEO and the SEM and all those social media and all those great activities. But you also mentioned outbound leads as a third great way. And so what do you recommend there? This is really probably what most of your people who are listening to this podcast are involved in somehow, but not necessarily. So I work primarily with business owners who are not salespeople. And this is one of the things where they know they need to do this, but oftentimes they don't, either because they're just really not comfortable selling. They don't have that skill and experience. And because they're so busy managing their firms and doing so many other things, selling often falls to the bottom. However, as I said, if you really want to maximize your growth potential, you do need to make sure that you have some kind of proactive sales program also complementing your marketing and your referrals. Good. Totally agree. And what have you found to be the most effective way? Well, I am a big fan of direct outreach. I like to cold call targeted lists. Obviously, I make sure that I know who it is that I can most help. And I do this on behalf of my clients as well. Who can we most help? Who is experiencing the problem that we solve? And then we reach out directly to them and we ask them that exact question. 
And I know you're a big fan of Sales Navigator too, and it is a tremendously valuable tool to be able to pinpoint the person who is most likely going to be experiencing that problem and allow you, of course, to get a name and maybe even some contact details. So you can reach directly to the person who you are most likely to be able to help. And what are some good ways to try to figure that out? So there's 100 companies, say, within a five-mile radius of your house. (laughs) Uh Which ones are the 10 to call? You need to be 100% crystal clear on what you do better or different than anybody else and what problem that you solve. You could, So you're working backwards a little bit. You're saying, okay, this is the problem that I solve. Who are the businesses that I know or I feel are likely to be having this problem? Then you'll go find those. And then when you talk with them, this is where you have to be 100% clear on what you do better or different. And that probably leads into something else that I'd like to talk about, which you didn't ask me about, but maybe now's the timing it up. Sure. When you are having any kind of a sales engagement with a prospective client, it's going to be so much more impactful when the questions that you can ask in that sales engagement are tied to what you do better or different than anyone else. Commonly, we call that our USPs or our unique selling proposition. But when you can link your questions to those values that are different, then suddenly you are opening up possibilities that your prospective client may never have considered before. And you are the only one who can solve them. So it sounds almost like you're uh, advocating the challenge your sale approach, getting them to think differently, which is good. Well, Kind of, sort of. Yes, it is partly that. I know my understanding of challenger sale is being able to really bring to a prospect knowledge about an industry or an environment and bringing something new to that prospect. It's a little bit of that and a little bit more also of, well, what's the unique way that you're solving the problem? And is it something that they maybe never considered? I'm trying to think of an example. So sometimes prospective clients will say, well, I'm having this problem. And they explain to you what their problem is. And as you're listening and you ask a few more questions, what you determine is the problem is actually much bigger than what they've stated. They're not necessarily aware of that. And when you can ask those questions in a way that brings it or highlights an aspect of how you solve that problem in a way that's different than others, then it allows them to connect. Oh, okay, wait a minute. To get to the outcome I'm really seeking, this person or this firm is really the only way to solve that problem. And it's a problem they maybe had never considered before. Yeah, I like that. John, it's time to take a quick commercial break. Over 200 correlation studies show that natural aptitude is the most significant factor in predicting sales success. Asher's Advanced Personality Questionnaire, the APQ, consistently identifies peak performers in outside sales, inside sales, sales management, customer support, and 17 other business positions. Go to asherstrategies.com today or call 866-833-9941. That's Asher Strategies at 866-833-9941. We've been speaking with Kim Frederick about referrals, conversations, and selling. Now back to the discussion. So, Kim, you mentioned the importance of the unique selling proposition. Why is that so important? 
This is how you differentiate yourself, not just in a marketing perspective, but in a sales conversation. Because as we both know, sometimes you have a buyer who's been speaking to some sales representative from that company and then that company. And there are all these people that are prospecting them and targeting them. And you need to have some way to be able to show that you can solve their unique problem, their problem uniquely, but also they believe it's unique to them potentially. In your conversation, you want to be able to say, okay, you've mentioned this, 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 and this, and I think that the overall impact is that. And in order for us to be able to do that, have you considered this? And that would be something that was unique to you. It ties to the value that you bring to the client, and that's a unique value that's different than somebody else. I like that. So in my experience, the management consultants have been beating up on CEOs about the importance of differentiation and having a USP, you know, for <laughs> for 50 years. It's because how else can someone make a decision? I mean, you never want the decision making to be made on price. You want it to be made on the value that you can bring to that engagement. And part of this, what you can uniquely do brings value. And it's your job as the salesperson to be able to fully communicate that value and to bring it to the attention and make the prospect understand how valuable it really is. No, you're right. And another way to think about that is if three companies are after an opportunity and all three companies have great experience, great products, great services, and reasonable prices. So in the buyer's mind, all three companies are you know literally tied for first and the buyer likes all three salespeople equally as well, then as you suggest, the conversation always goes to the price. Right. If one, however, is different than from neuroscience studies, the old decision-making brain will make a quick, easy, risk-free decision and the price never comes up. Right. And, and that's really where you want to steer the conversation. Yeah, you exactly. never want to win the race to the bottom. No, not unless you're so efficient that you can win that way, like Walmart. <laughs> well, well, exactly. And that, that tends to typically be in some kind of a commoditized product or service. And exactly. you know, when you have a commodity product or service, your value as a salesperson really is negligible. So we're really talking about something where there is a value that can be communicated. And that's your primary job as a salesperson, I think. Yeah. So let's go back to what you mentioned. You target the buyers who would logically need your offering because you you know what their problem is. And so now we're going to call them. So when you call them, is this like a cold call? That's typically what I do. Obviously, though, what I specialize in and what I specialize in teaching my clients is how to have that conversation when you've gotten the permission to have it. There is a number of steps that I recommend for that sales conversation, which sort of can actually be applied to any conversation, but specifically around sales. You want, of course, start with rapport and building that rapport. Then you want to review what do you already know? You want to confirm anything that you've discovered previous to the conversation. You want to make sure that your research is correct and validated. Then you want to talk about issues. What is the problem that this particular person is experiencing? And what is it that they really want to achieve? What's the outcome they're ideally looking for? And not until you have gone through all of those things and you've had a discussion around issues and outcomes, not until then can you start looking at potential problem solving. And you can do that in conjunction with your prospective client. I mean, you're there as a problem solver, 
But you need to go through all those things to make sure you're solving the right problem. It's always good to have a solution that fits the problem. <laughs> well, and and you know what? I, I laugh a little bit at myself, John, because I know you've been in the sales game a long, long time, and so have I. But I have this story I share sometimes about when I was a fairly new salesperson and I was out in my car and I drove hundreds of miles and I visited with a prospective client and wrote, had a great meeting, wrote down everything. I came back to have the, it was a training company and I came back to have the training program developed and the people who developed it just looked at me and said, we can't do anything with this. You didn't really get what the issue was. That was a pretty big learning moment for me about Mm -hmm. how you can't always just take what the client says at face value. You need to make sure you really truly understand the problem. And sometimes they don't always understand the problem, which is where the asking the questions in that sales conversation becomes so critical. Yeah. And as you suggest, the more questions you can ask, in many cases, it opens up to the buyer what the real problem is. They were talking about the surface problem, and there's a much deeper problem in many cases. Exactly. Yeah. So there's a lot of theories about what makes the best salesperson. I know you know this. And so can anybody sell? I think you and I may differ on this one. That's okay. Um, I've been through your APQ and that's a tremendous tool. So here's my take on it. And I would love a conversation with you about this. Yeah. I think that people believe there are people who are natural born salespeople. And I think probably that it's fair to say there are people who are naturally born with the kinds of characteristics that lead or lend themselves to being good at sales. And I think there are probably also people who are just never going to be able to learn how to sell. But it is my belief that probably the majority of people can learn how to sell. That's not to say they can sell in every single environment. And that's maybe where your APQ becomes really critical. Because there are different sorts of sales environments, and some are a lot more competitive and require a different kind of a person than others. But it's my belief that anybody can learn how to sell. Yeah. I mean, that's the Sandler sales approach, actually, if you've ever been to Sandler. I'm familiar with them, but I haven't ever taken one of their programs. Yeah. No, their whole methodology is it's all about the process. Right. Right. Yeah. And I guess that's probably the way I teach things too, although I really focus very much on the conversation. Yeah. Right. It's actually a great approach. And Sandler's a very successful company. Right. Yeah. For them, it's all about the process. Mm-hmm. Other mm-hmm. training companies have a different approach. You know, Miller Hyman, it's all about the coach. <laughs> right. Yeah. So focus on getting a coach. Yeah. Of course, there are different ways to approach things and probably different approaches work in better in different industries. I find in a small business environment that I mostly am working in, that it does tend to come down to that personal connection and the conversation and But managing the conversation. I mean, a lot of times a business owner will say, well, I'm just going to have a conversation. Well, yes, but it's as I mentioned before, you want to make sure you follow a structure and you as a salesperson are always going to stay in control of that conversation. Yeah. And as you said before, the best way to stay in control is ask the right questions. <laughs> That's right. That's right. All right. So let's shift to one thing you also mentioned. And that is your first step is to build rapport. So what's the best way to do that? This is really where it's all about finding as quickly as you possibly can points of connection. And if you've done your homework and you've done a little bit of research, you can ask your 
prospective client about something that you found. You can say, I did a little bit of research prior to our meeting and I noticed blah, blah, blah. Tell me a little bit more about that. That's one way to do it. I love to ask people, or pre-COVID time anyway, I love to ask people Mm -hmm. where they were planning to go on their next vacation. Because even if somebody isn't a big traveler, Oh, there are somebody is always planning some sort of a getaway or vacation, even if it's local. And it just kind of opens to really allow you to get to know your prospect as a person and to allow you to connect on and then you can go from there. So I also, I know I have friends who disagree with me on this, but I do find that it's okay to talk about the weather especially when there's been a situation where there's been some extreme weather that everybody has experienced. It's an instant point of connection. If, for example, you've all just lived through a heat wave or something like that, that has impacted your day-to-day activities. So it's about finding that connection point and things that you have in common as quickly as possible. And so when you do research on a prospective buyer, what do you do? I mean, you already mentioned Sales Navigator, right? Yes. And sometimes it's helpful to have it. And you don't want to do this without being too creepy. You want to see if you can learn anything about this person as a person. And even just a Google search can sometimes throw up things like maybe somebody is a triathlete because you find results from a race or something like that. I mean, you want to keep it pretty cursory because it does get pretty stalkerish pretty quickly. It has to be something that's in the public domain, of course. We're not looking for any secret dark web stuff. And something that they've put that is in the public domain that they're most likely quite proud of. Yeah, the dark web stuff. Don't want to look me up there. It's it's, it's, it's pretty scary. (laughs) No, we don't want to do that. We don't want to know your secrets, John. (laughs) That's funny. So how does people's personalities come into this? You know, there's... As you know, since you've been to our training and you've had done all this stuff yourself, there's like four basic personality styles. So how do we take advantage of that knowledge? To take it to its very barest bones, I find that the people who are able to listen the most, and oftentimes that's a person, and I forget what the labels are in your training, but the people that are a little bit more introverted, can you just remind me what you call that? Uh, The introverted ones are the thinker personality who is introverted and task-oriented. And the other style that's introverted is the supporter personality that's introverted, but people-oriented. The people-oriented introverts are usually the ones who have the most success because they're the ones who are able to ask the questions, but then shut up and listen to the answers. You know, we have, unfortunately, in the sales arena, salespeople have this reputation for being really gregarious and outgoing and talking and talking and talking. And I find that salespeople who are more comfortable with asking the questions and sitting back and listening to the answers are usually more successful. John, unfortunately, it's time for the wrap-up. Well, darn, Dave, I had a lot more questions for Kim. So thank you, Kim, for coming on the show. So if there's one or two or three things you could leave with the listeners, because, you know, many of them are listening to these podcasts while they're walking the dog or driving. So hard for them to write down, you know, 10 notes. Sure. What are some of the big ideas that people should take away from what we just chatted about? Sure. Well, I appreciate you letting me share those. For me, selling is most successful when it's about serving helping people solve problems rather than trying to sell a product or a service. 
always remember it's not about you. It's about what you can do for someone else. And as we were just talking about, the listening piece is the most critical. So if you are one of those gregarious salespeople, it's probably pretty important for you to work on listening more than talking. All right. Terrific. And so if people would like to know some more about what you do and how you can help small business owners, how can they get in touch with you? Best place right now is LinkedIn. I'm sure you'll put a link in the notes there. My last name ends with an H, even though we pronounce it Frederick. But that is the best place to find me. All right. Terrific. Thanks so much, Kim. It's been fun. Thanks, John. And thank you, John and Kim. That's all the time we have for today. For our listeners, be sure to join us again next week at the same time. From now until then, John Asher reminds us to please, please get out there and sell something. Paul, take it away. You've been listening to another episode of Asher Sales Sense right here on Asher Strategies Radio. 